Hello, welcome to the podcast of Grace Fellowship Church Shrewsbury. We meet every Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. in Southern York County, Pennsylvania. You can join our morning live stream on Facebook or YouTube. Just search for GFC Shrewsbury. You can find more information about us at gfcshrewsbury.org. We are so excited to bring you this message today, and it is our hope that you will come to know and believe Jesus Christ more fully through it. So John chapter 19, go ahead and get there. 1 through 27 is where we're going to be this morning. The title of this message is Behold Your King. Behold Your King. We've been in this series, and I've had the honor of preaching in it a few other times in, in the book of John, and we've been talking about this idea of knowing Jesus, the greatest endeavor you could ever pursue in this life. And so this morning, I, I want to just kind of get there, right? We, here's, here's how we do that. If you want to know Jesus, we must behold him as king. Like, if you want to know him, you must behold him as king. Now, we're going to go about doing this this morning in kind of an odd way, and I'll explain that in a minute. But we have to behold him as king. So, so that's the agenda this morning. That's all my cards are on the table. That's what Holy Spirit wants to do. I believe that with all my heart, that he wants to get our eyes off of ourselves, off of our situations, off of even each other for a moment to get our eyes on him. And then we behold him, like, like stare at him, get, get lost in the person of Jesus. And then we would be able to look at each other with proper lenses to be able to offer the grace and mercy that God wants to extend through us to one another. And so in order to do that, we have to understand this morning what the word even behold means. In the text this morning, we see that word four different times. It's a, it's a word all throughout the Bible, but it's a very important word for us to understand what has to happen this morning. Behold means this, to look intently at, to gaze upon, to see with attention, to be in awe of, to fix our eyes on, to observe with care, or as I like to say it, get lost in, like, like to stare at something so intently, to actually give it enough time of day that we actually allow the person of Jesus to melt away all the stresses and anxieties and fears and other things that can so easily distract us. And like, this is really where I believe God wants us to go this morning, because here's the reality. God is too good to leave you where you're at right now. And let me just break that down for a moment. Some of y'all, like, you know him and you love him and you feel like you're on cloud nine and you feel like I couldn't know him any better. He's still too good to leave you there. Like, he's too good to let you think like you've arrived yet. There's always more. Do you realize that's what heaven's going to be, an unfolding of the more over and over and over? Ten million years in, you're like, dang, I didn't know it could get better. And it gets better. That's heaven. And there's some of us in this place who maybe uh, know Jesus, but we, we like glance at him every now and again. And we, we think that's enough, and God's just too good to leave you there this morning. And maybe that's part of why you feel miserable today is because you have Jesus, but you're treating him as like an option on the buffet table as opposed to the whole buffet line. And man, there's some of us, if we're just really honest in this place, like, you don't even want Jesus. Like, you, you want church? You want Christianity? You want all the stuff that comes with Jesus? But when push comes to shove, you don't want Jesus. And I love you enough to tell you that, not to throw shade at you, but to actually 
call you out of the darkness that that is into the marvelous light that is King Jesus. Because when Jesus sees your rejection of him, his, his response is not to reject you. His response is to come after you. But the solution, regardless of where we're at, whether you want to know him, whether you feel like you've known him for a thousand plus years and you can't wait to continue to know him, or you're somewhere in the middle, we must behold him this morning. We must gaze upon him intently. So here's the question. Are you beholding Jesus as king? Are you beholding him as king? Because this is how he's portrayed in the text we're going to look at this morning. So maybe for some of us, we've been beholding Jesus, but it's the Jesus that we've formed. It's the Jesus that fits in our comfortable boxes. It's the Jesus that we can roll with because he makes us slightly uncomfortable, but not so uncomfortable that we have to actually give up control. And man, Holy Spirit's here today to say, there's only one Jesus. And so if he hasn't changed your life, you haven't met the right one. So we behold him as king this morning because we become what we behold. We become what we behold. So beholding Jesus isn't just this lofty spiritual idea. Beholding Jesus actually transforms you from one form of glory to the next. It's actually what makes you more like Christ. The fruit of bearing or beholding Jesus is that you begin to bear the fruit of the Spirit. So that's what we're going after this morning, that we behold Jesus because we become what we behold. So Grace, let's pray and go after it. God, you are good. Father, you are really good. And we've already prayed this this morning, but man, some of us don't believe that. And I just believe you want to heal and transform and soften the hearts that don't believe that this morning. God, we, we know you're on the move. It's clear, Holy Spirit, you're here, you're doing some stuff, and it's incredible. But we just want to pray against any distractions in this place. Because we acknowledge the devil hates what's going on in this place, and he's going to do everything he can in his power to try to thwart your plans. And we just say he, he has no power, no authority in this place. But he's going to try to sneak in subtly with distractions. And so we plead the blood of Jesus in this place. That that would actually rebuke darkness, rebuke distractions, rebuke lies, rebuke temptations. God, get everything out of the way. That we may see you properly today. That we may see you in all your beauty and all your fullness and that we would become undone before you. That you would transform us from the inside out. God, I pray that you would deliver people in this place, that you would heal them, that you would restore them, that for those who are saved and feel dry, that you would pour out your spirit upon them and they would feel alive again, that you would restore the joy of their salvation. God, I pray for the people in the room who think they're saved, but they're not, that you would save them today, not, not condemn them, but that your arm is strong enough and big enough and long enough to go after them. So God, that you would save them today. God, we lay down our pride, we lay down our agendas and say, have your way in this place. Holy Spirit, get our eyes on King Jesus today. And all his people said, amen. amen. Grace, we become what we behold. So let's go on the journey of beholding King Jesus this morning. Verse 1, then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in the purple robe. They came up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. 
Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I'm bringing him out to you that you know that I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, Behold the man. When the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. Behold Jesus as our suffering king. See, I said earlier that, that the way in which you're going to behold Jesus as king this morning is going to be a little odd because we're going to look at the death of King Jesus. When you want to look upon the glory or the weight of a king, you don't look when he dies, you look at when he's crowned. You look at when he's put into office or you look at the legacy that led him to get put into office. And yet today, what God is calling us to do is to look intently at something that's hard to look at, which is the death of our Savior, the death of our King. And yet I'm making the, uh, the, the preposition for us this morning that as we gaze upon the death of Jesus, that's when we find true life. And I'm not saying it's easy to stare at what's going to happen in this text because it's gruesome, it's horrific, it's horrible, and yet it brings life. It brings freedom. It brings joy. And so let's look at Jesus as our suffering king. We need to understand this morning that Jesus suffered. And this text actually shows some of the physical suffering, but we got to understand that the suffering was far deeper than just physical. It was emotional. It was spiritual. Like he did business with his father in the garden in such a way that he began to sweat drops of blood. That's not just some weird thing that happened. That's a, a disorder that happens when you get so stressed out that your blood vessels begin to pop and blood begins to leak out. It's because he was doing business with his father in the garden. That, that's pre this moment. And yet in this moment, he's before the Jews and before Pilate and the religious leaders of the day. And it says that he was flogged. Which I want us to pay attention to the narrative and how it pans out. He has not been condemned to be crucified yet. The, the, the Jews and the religious leaders are like wanting for that to happen. They're begging for it to happen, but it has not quite happened yet. We're going to get there. But the first thing we see here is that Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. Let me explain to you what flogging is. There was like levels to this, levels to flogging. There was different types in, in the original language. You see there's three different words that could be used for flogging. Most scholars believe that this flogging right here was like the, the lower end, and yet none of us could imagine the pain. So what they would do is they would take a, a whip that had these leather straps coming off of it, and they would attach things like screws and nails and, and rocks and bones and things sharp, and they would begin to beat the literal tar out of people. And not only would those whips hit you, but the things attached to the end of it would hit your skin. It would rip it open. It would fillet your back and your sides. It would expose your bones and your organs. It would be excruciatingly painful in a way that, that honestly, I don't know if we have anything in our modern day era that could even come close to understanding this type of physical pain. And so this is the first thing that happens to Jesus. This would have been incredible, painful suffering. But then it turns from just physical suffering to actual public mockery. They put a crown of thorns on his head. Like, not just like little briar thorns, like I'm talking big spiky type thorns. They formed a crown and they put it on his head and pressed it on the top of his skull and blood began to shower down his face. And yes, that's physically painful, but what... Notice what's happening. Sin that allowed thorns in is now being put on the head of Jesus. 
You're, you're seeing the physical manifestation of sin. We see that in the garden where thorns begin to enter in, and those things are now formed to put a crown on the head of our king. And they begin to mock him. He then has a robe laid over his open wounds. Have you ever skinned your knee and tried to wear jeans the next day? It's painful. It hurts. Or, or even try to lay in bed and your, your wound, let's get a little graphic, your wound gets kind of sucked into those fibers and then you pull it off and it hurts, right? Like th this robe, this purple robe that would have represented royalty was now put on the back of our king after they just mocked him and, and, and beat him. And so those fibers of, of that robe would have began to lay upon the wounds and infect and, 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 and to impose more pain on Jesus. If that wasn't enough, they began to strike him. They began to punch him in the face. They began to, to mock him and began to say, this is the king. Hail the king of the Jews. That's not a, that's not a, a declaration from a heart of worship. That's a declaration from a place of rejection, hatred. Hail the king of the Jews. Look at your king. He can barely walk. His skin is ripped open. His organs exposed. He's got a crown of thorns, a purple robe. Hail the king of the Jews. That is what was going on in this moment. And guys, we haven't gotten to the cross yet. I, I put this before us because the text puts this before us this morning that Jesus was ridiculed. He was mocked. He was betrayed. He was completely misunderstood in this moment. This is who we must behold today. We, we want to look at resurrected King Jesus, and we want to do that, but we got to look at this King Jesus first. He suffered. They mocked him for claiming to be king. I put this before us this morning because I think some of us think we're following some cushy Jesus who just is like the, the picture that we see with a perm and a sheep in his hand. No, Jesus was a manly dude. He was a carpenter. And then he was willingly put through this hell on earth process. That's who we worship this morning. That's who we're claiming allegiance to this morning. But here's what we have to see, that even though Jesus suffered, he suffered as an innocent man. Like, he was innocent. Pilate tells us, it says that, that Pilate found no guilt in him. You want to know why Pilate didn't find guilt in him? There was no guilt to be found. Like, like if Pilate could have found it, you, you got to understand, it would have been way easier if Pilate just said, yeah, the dude's guilty, get him out of here. But yet something compelled Pilate to say, I, no, he's not guilty, man. And, and John goes to a length to tell us this twice in this text. Once again, the sellout, easy option for Pilate to say, yeah, just, just kill him. Get him off my hands. This is too much. And yet something compelled it. What? The innocence of Jesus compelled him. The spirit of God was stirring in Pilate in such a way that he couldn't leave it alone. He says, I find no guilt in him. He even says, you take him and crucify him. Which Pilate knows the Jews can't do that. That's why they're coming to Pilate. He suffered as an innocent man. We see that part of actually why Pilate flogs him is so that the people would actually begin to have pity on him. He's not been condemned yet. That's important. Because Pilate, he actually 
flogs him so that he could put Jesus on display as this, this pitiful person. And so when Pilate says in this text, behold this man, it's not saying, behold this man, it's saying, look at him. Have mercy on him. Don't crucify him. I've already done enough. Like He, he didn't even deserve this, but this, this is too much. Don't take it any further. That's the Jesus we must behold this morning. And I put this before us this morning because I want you to know that Jesus felt all of this on purpose. It, it would be easy. In fact, Pilate's kind of scheme here was that there would be some sort of heartstring he could pluck within the Jews to make them feel bad enough about their, their sin that they would stop. And yet we see here that, that not only does that not work, it actually backfires on Pilate. They say, crucify him. We don't care. Kill him. One of the dangers that we could have this morning is to look upon this King Jesus as a pitiful man who needs our pity. And he got into this himself. He, he willingly signed up for this. Jesus is not a victim. He is a volunteer. We have no need this morning to feel bad for Jesus. But we do need to stare at the pain and the misery that he took on himself because he's trying to proclaim a message to you this morning, and that is this. I'm in the trenches with you. Like, like some of us this morning feel like right now we are suffering, that we're in pain, that maybe some of us have had things done to us that are unspeakable. Maybe some of us wish we could trade what happened to us for a crown of thorns and a robe. And what Jesus is trying to say to you this morning is not, hey, just brush it off. I died, so it's fine. No, he's saying, I got in this mess with you. I'm in the thick of it. You're not alone. I, I'm not far from you. Like Jesus knows what it's like to be mocked, to be spit upon, to be ridiculed, to be misunderstood. Have you ever been misunderstood? Have you ever had pure intent, motive, and you do something just knowing you're in the right and everyone thinks you're wrong? Turn that up to 10,000, and that's what Jesus is experiencing in this moment. He knows what it's like to, to suffer. So we stare at the suffering king this morning because he reminds us that you're not in this thing alone. And that maybe some of us who are doubting and skeptical that Jesus could really save us, this shows just how long his arm really is. Some of us are on the fringes of faith because we feel like, yeah, no, nah, I, just, I just don't know if Jesus can handle this mess, though. Like, I know we can get in trenches that are like six feet deep, but mine feels like 600 feet deep. I just don't know if he can go there. Not only can he, he did. Like, he went there. So I'll be gay. I know it's hard, but we've got to gaze at this because he went there. So whatever you feel like you're walking through this morning, Jesus has been there and then some. He suffered. And he suffered to set you free. The gospel doesn't just say Jesus comes and sits in your mess with you and rubs your head and says, it's okay, let's keep being miserable. But yet we sell the gospel that short sometimes, do we not? We just say Jesus meets you in your pain and it'll be okay. And so you just miserably walk your way to heaven and be all mopey. No, the blood of Jesus is too rich. It's too thick. It cost him too much for us to settle for just being miserable. No, Jesus meets us in our suffering to set us free, church. We must behold him today because as we behold the suffering king, he actually begins to set us free. What are you suffering through today? I want you to name it. Don't, not out loud, but, but name it. Holy Spirit, right now, conjure up things that are causing suffering in this place and let us give them to King Jesus. 
because he wants to set us free from them. Don't believe the lie that you, can, you have to be a miserable Christian. We have too many of those. We don't need any more. And I believe Holy Spirit is not okay with that. And he's calling us out of our misery into life and freedom and joy. Like I lightheartedly joked earlier this morning that church can be fun. But I'm serious, y'all. Church can be fun because Jesus is alive and he's setting people free. Our suffering king is the one who's here to set us free. Will you let him today? What does he need to set you free from? Maybe it's self-pity. Maybe some of us just have this habit of like, woe is me. Like, I know Jesus loves me because, you know, the Bible tells me so, but I can just be a headache for Jesus. No, you're not. No, you're not. Who do you think you are? <laughs> like, you think Jesus was on the cross and be like, ah, oh, I guess I'll die for that one too. No. <laughs> it's the joy. You're the apple of his eye, man. And it's, I love it because Jesus would have died for us if we were the only one, but we were not the only one. So he died for all of us, y'all. To be one big happy family in King Jesus. Maybe it's guilt. Maybe some of us have done things that like we know God forgives us of, but like socially just aren't cool. Especially in the church, right? Like there's certain taboo things like, ah, yeah, but I just don't know if Jesus really, no, he died for that too. Like part of why he had a crown of thorns and a robes put over him and was beaten beyond recognition was so that that thing that you've done, not, not just happened to you, but you've done, can be dealt with. And then some of us, right, we're victims. People who should have cared for us abused us. Physically, sexually, mentally, emotionally abused us, took advantage of us, maybe from a young age. And you feel like, I, but I don't know if the cross covers that. It does. Hail your king, the suffering king, who before the cross was even put through misery so you could be set free from whatever happened to you. Do you just feel like you're a product of addiction? And you, yeah, you're, you're making progress, but you still have to hold on to that label that, hello, my name is and I'm an addict. That's crap. The gospel, the blood of Jesus speaks a better word for you today. That's not who you are. And some of us are like, I'm a Christian, but I'm still a sinner. The Bible doesn't tell us that. The Bible tells us that we still sin, but that's not who we are. You're, if you're in Christ today, you are not a sinner. You're a saint who just happens to sometimes sin. And hear this. That's not an excuse to keep sinning. The, the goal is that you sin less. But if you're in here today and you actually are a sinner, because some of us are because we don't know Jesus, if you walk out of here still a sinner, that is on you. Not him. Because he suffered to set you free from not only your sin, but your identity as a sinner to now make you a saint in King Jesus. Will you behold him? Will you let go of the condemnation and the shame? Will you let go of the trying harder? And some of us just like believe the lie that I just have to try harder. I know I, I take on the blood of Jesus, but I just got to, you know, work myself into a coma for King Jesus. No, I have, I have some really good news for you. Jesus doesn't need you to advance his church, but he wants you. And when you know he doesn't need you and you know he wants you, man, that's a game changer. Because then you can have joy and fun. And you can actually be more, more impactful that way. 
We will have suffering in this life, by the way. And so part of why Jesus went through this is to remind us that even when we suffer, we're not alone. Like, you, you will have suffering in this life. I don't know where we got off thinking that, like, Christianity is easy. I guess Jesus never told us it would be. In fact, Jesus says the exact opposite. He tells us it's going to be hard. We covered this in John 16, 33. Just read your Bible. You see people who are anointed, called by God, these prophets and apostles, and we want to be those? Do you realize they all suffered? All the apostles, like, were murdered. It's not going to be easy, but it's doable. It's possible. It's way better than the alternative. But Jesus promises that because he took on suffering, he can now overcome it. See, do you see the beauty in that? Jesus took on the full weight of our suffering so that he could actually overturn it. He could deal with it. He could put it to death once and for all. Let's behold our king who suffered for us today. Will you walk in the freedom that our king gladly suffered for? Like he gladly suffered for you. He's not a victim in this moment. He's in the midst of his father's will. And he had you on his, his mind. He said, oh yeah, for that one, of course. Of course, that's why he was silent. He's in the silence, he's screaming, oh, I love you. Oh, I love you. He'd already, he'd already come to grips with this in the garden. He knew it was coming. So when he's here, he's fully surrendered. Which leads us to our next one. Verse 7, the Jews answered him, we have a law, and according to that law, he ought to die because he has made himself the son of God. By the way, he didn't do it, the father did it. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid, entered into his quarters again and said to Jesus, where are you from? Like, like picture this, Pilate, now it's coming to an understanding of why Jesus is here. He's claiming to be the son of God. And Pilate's like, oh, snap, that's a big deal. So he's like, but I still find no guilt in him. So he goes back into his quarters and says, yo, where are you from? Like, like what, what's going on? Like, where, where are you at? Like, what's, what's happening? <laughs> I love Jesus' response because he says, Jesus gave him no answer. Isn't that funny? Sometimes we think, oh, just ask questions to Jesus. Sometimes the answer is nothing. We're going to get to why in a moment. But then we see that, that Pilate said to him, you won't speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Like, like hear the tone here. Pilate's like, bro, I'm trying to help you out. Like, what are you doing? Like, I got, I got power in my hands. Like, what are you doing? That's, that's the attitude of Pilate. But look, <laughs> look at Jesus. You have no authority over me at all unless it was given to you from above. This is the last words Jesus speaks in this passage. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. Behold Jesus as our submitted king, our submitted king. Jesus was condemned to die because he was submitted to his father's will. That, that's hard for some of us to hear this morning, but we need to hear it. Jesus was condemned to die not because he did something wrong, not because he wasn't good enough. No, because he was right in the midst of where his dad wanted him. He, he said, Father, if there's any other way, like, let it happen, but your will be done. And so God's like, cool, my will's going to be done. And so this is the will of the Father that Jesus would be right here in the midst of this moment. 
He was condemned because he was submitted. We see the real reason why Jesus was crucified right here in verse 7. It says, because he claimed to be the son of God, which, by the way, in that day and age was a huge red flag, a huge no-no. You do not do that. Like, you're better off, literally, better off murdering somebody than, than claiming to be God. And so, of course, they had to take it seriously. And so here's the reality of what Jesus was doing, though. Because he was submitted, he was just claiming to be who he already was. Yeah, I'm the son of God. Like, like if you've seen me, you've seen my dad. You realize Jesus frustrated a lot of people because he was just trying to do what his dad wanted him to do? That's why he often withdrew to be alone with the father. That's why he literally disappointed so many people because they had this expectation for him to be a certain type of way. And he's like, no, nah, I'm just here to do what my dad wants. Yeah, but can you do? No, because my dad doesn't want that. Him and his father's hearts were so attached that it was hard to see where one started and the other ended. He was completely submitted to his father. See, Jesus was secure in the face of fear because he was submitted to his father. Hear that again. He was secure in the face of fear because he was submitted to his father. What a good example for us. What a practical takeaway this morning. That you can actually walk in the ways of Jesus by being secure in the face of fear when you're submitted to the Father. And Jesus leads us in that beautifully. He walked in confidence that he was right in the will of his dad. Look, look at what was going on. Pilate had some authority, y'all. Jesus' life kind of hinges in this moment of, hey, if you, if you plead your innocence, like, I'm here, I'm on team Jesus right now. Pilate's like, I'm trying to get you off. And Jesus is like, bro, you ain't got no authority over me. Do you know who my dad is? Clearly not. You wouldn't be talking to me this way. That's Alex's paraphrase of what happened there, all right? But that is my dad. He, he's the only one who gives authority. In fact, the one who handed you, you know, me over to you, he's in trouble. It's not even on you so much at this point. It's on him. He's completely confident in the face of fear. And, and check this out. He modeled submission for us that we could walk in his footsteps. Submission settles you in your fear. Anybody afraid today? Anybody fearful? Like, like not because of Halloween just happening and like all that superficial nonsense. No, like you fearful of some stuff. Like you, are you afraid you're a bad parent? Are you afraid somehow that if you don't parent your kids right, you're going to screw them up? Like you, are you afraid that like you're never going to get over what happened to you? Are you afraid that you're just stuck in this misery the rest of your life? Some of you, are you afraid for your livelihood? Are you afraid that your job's going to be stripped from you? Because we live in a world that that's not like a far-fetched idea. Like, what are, you, what are you afraid of? Because Jesus right here says, hey, you can be settled in your fear. In the face of it. And check this out. Not just your own fear. Because Jesus wasn't afraid, y'all. Who was afraid? Pilate. And so Jesus, in the midst of Pilate's fear, is like, nah, dude, I'm good. And so maybe you need to hear that this morning, that maybe you're not afraid, but there's people around you who start to get afraid, and that gives you anxiety and makes you fearful. Jesus is promising us that not even the fear of the world can have a hold on us. Not even the fear of those living in the same house as us can have a hold on us. That's the type of security you can have in the midst of fear when you're submitted. Pilate was so afraid that he began to project his fears onto Jesus, and Jesus had nothing to do with it. He didn't settle Nothing comes to you that doesn't first come through the hands of your father. That's what Jesus wants us to see here. He says, look, like you, you have no authority over me unless my father gave it to you. 
You know how settling and how much confidence that can breed in you when you realize regardless of what you're going through right now, it didn't come to you before it passed first through the hands of your father. Now, some of us, that's hard to reconcile. So you're telling me cancer passed through the hands of my father? Yeah, that's what I'm telling you. That abuse that happened to me? Yeah. Do, do not hear me say that God, like, wanted that to happen to you, because that's not what I'm saying to you. But I'm saying in the midst of God's sovereignty, in the midst of God's glory, he said, one of the greatest things for my glory and the good of these people is for them to walk through this so I can save them and redeem them out of it. But that's a hard truth we need to hear this morning. And that maybe for some of us, we've been so frustrated because we're pointing the finger at God and yet God is inviting us in to say, hey, look, it passed through my hands. What I start, I finish. I don't leave incomplete projects lying around. That's not what I do. And so if he let it come to you, it passed through him. And newsflash, he's smarter, wiser, kinder, more patient, more gentle, more loving, all those things, more than you. I don't say that to you so you can just lightheartedly make it through life, but that you can trust Truly trust and plant yourselves in the will of God. Be submitted like Jesus was. You want to talk about one of the most horrific things that ever happened? Right here, in this moment, passed through the hands of the Father. But the Father sees the whole picture when we see a tiny little piece. So if you know how this story plays out, this is the greatest thing that's ever happened because it led to resurrection. It led to life. I believe for some of us this morning, Holy Spirit wants to settle you in your fear. Some of us have been walking around on eggshells and so afraid since, like, like we want to say it happened because of COVID in 2020. Nuh-uh, it just exposed y'all. And when I say y'all, me too, okay? But what happened, the beauty of what God allowed to happen in COVID is that, oh, snap, all of my fears can rise to the surface now. And Jesus is like, yep, now I can get to them. Now I can deal with you. Now I've stopped time. And now I've stopped all your crazy running around so I can get to you. And some of us have just gone back to trying to be busy and anxious again. And yet God is here right now telling you, I want to settle you in your fear. Will you name your fear this morning? Will you let God handle it? Literally. You give it to him and let him settle you. It can only happen when we gaze upon the beauty of our submitted king. And let Holy Spirit settle you in the face of your fear today. Like if you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit lives in you. I don't know if you knew that, but you should start taking advantage of that if you didn't. But it settles you. It settles you. Which makes you a force for the king. When you're settled in your fear, you wake up and the devil's like, oh, dang it. Really? Can you just snooze, please? Hit the snooze button. Like, I don't know about you, but I want to live my life in such a way that the devil's like, oh, dadgummit, he's up. Yes, right. Come Come on. Because you're a jerk anyway, and you've already lost. You can be settled in your fears. That's what he wants for you. Verse 12, from then on, Pilate sought to release him. See, Jesus speaks with authority. He speaks settled, and Pilate's like, all right, I'm getting my hands off this. This is too much for me. So Pilate sought to release him, but Jesus, or the Jews cried out, if you release this man, you're not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. Uh Uh-oh. And we see, the, we see the religious leaders of the Jews, you know, they throw a curveball here. They start to play dirty, throw punches. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at the place called the Stone Pavement in Aramaic, Gabbatha, 
And now it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. And he said to the Jews, behold your king. He said earlier, behold the man. Now he's saying, behold your king. They cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, shall I crucify your king? Listen to these horrific words of the chief priests. We have no king but Caesar. Behold Jesus as our rejected king. I want you to understand how dirty the Jews just played this. Okay, you're not going to listen to us. We're going to pull out the last big like piece of ammunition we have. And so he begins to now, the religious leaders, all right, Jesus or Caesar? For Pilate, this, like Caesar was his God. Like Caesar was the ultimate authority. Caesar had power. Caesar had pull. The peace of Pilate contended upon Caesar. And so, so I want you to understand the weight of what the Jews were putting on Pilate. Hey, pick this like bruised up dude who you just like tried to give us to get us to have pity on or choose the king. And for Pilate, this was a relatively easy decision. Well, I'm not going to put my life and my comfort and my people and my, my prosperity, my peace in jeopardy. But yet Pilate knows, once again, he's innocent. And so Pilate then begins to turn the table actually back on them. And so he begins to mock the Jews. Hey, behold your king. Behold your king. He goes from trying to get them to have pity to actually trying to convict them and make them feel bad about what they were doing. I want you to see what's going on in this text too. The Passover is happening. Which if you know your Bible, or even if you don't, like this is a very significant moment. Passover was a very significant spiritual religious practice. And so it's in the midst of Passover that, that this is all going down. And so on this day, as Jesus is being betrayed, you're seeing these lambs, these perfect, innocent lambs being rejected and having their blood shed to be sacrificed. You want to talk about foreshadowing of what's coming? It's all going on in the backdrop of this story. And although those lambs were innocent, they must be rejected to pay for the sins of the people. We see that Jesus was also rejected. And I don't know if you knew this, but he's still being rejected today. In fact, I just I'm gonna go ahead and say this. Like, he's being rejected in this room. And once again, it's not to condemn you or to put like this, this weight or pressure on you, it's to help you get your eyes on Jesus. But he was rejected. And even in the face of you rejecting him, what is he offering us? Acceptance. He's here to offer you acceptance. He's not here to like lightheartedly brush over your sin, but he's here to offer you some acceptance. See, Jesus took on your rejection so that you could take on the acceptance of the Father. You see the great exchange of what's happening here? That, that in this story, he's being handed over by his people to be crucified. And, and the people who, Jesus was their king. He says, no, we don't have any other king but Caesar. Full-on rejection so that you and I wouldn't have to face the rejection of God. That you and I, through the blood of Jesus pleading over us, could actually now have acceptance. Did you know some of you are so dying to be accepted that you're literally selling yourself out and selling yourself short of what God has for you? And I love this quote from Lecrae. He says, if you live for others' acceptance, you'll die from their rejection. 
Some of you are in that reality right now, and what Jesus is saying to you is you don't have to keep doing that. You can receive the acceptance of the Father that you didn't earn, but Jesus earned for you. It's the good news of the gospel. You didn't do squat. In fact, you did all the mess to God, God, to God fixed. You just got to receive it. Wait, that's it? Yep. You want to know how you're growing in maturity? The gospel becomes more scandalous. Really, though? It's really that good? That's, it's just Jesus and his book? Yeah. It's really that good. If you want to know what Jesus is walking through, he, he, he faced pure rejection. Some of you right now, you're walking through rejection right now. Maybe you, you really want to be in a relationship with that person who wants nothing to do with you. Maybe some of you even right now are, are like on the verge of divorce because you're trying to be that faithful Christian spouse and the other person is like, nah, I'm done. Maybe some of you have faced rejection from a job. Maybe some of you have faced rejection from trying to share the gospel with coworkers. I don't know where you're at, but I know that we've all walked through rejection, right? And Jesus is saying to us again, hey, you're not alone. My people, people that should have had my back, Pilate who said he was in my corner is rejecting me. you're not alone. I hope this quote comes over you and just like washes you with joy and with peace right now. It says this, when you know you have the smile of God, you care very little about the frowns of this world. When you have the smile of God, you don't really care about the frowns of men. I'm not saying they're not going to be there. In fact, I would maybe make the argument that the more God's smiling at you, the more other people are going to frown at you. But then the greater that chasm is going to be of your caring, you're going to care far more about what God says about you than what other people say. See, Jesus is familiar with being an outcast. Some of you feel like an outcast. Like Leah was saying earlier that we need to get all the lies off. Some, that, some of y'all believe in that lie. I'm just an outcast. Like, I know I'm in church because this is a church that, you know, allows us to come here and be, kind of come as we are, but I'm in the back, I'm on the fringes, or I'm away from people because I don't want people getting so close to my, my stuff that they start to smell it because I, I smell gross. Like, some of us think, like, I can get into the family of God, but I got to stay on the outside because I'm not prim and proper and, and, and churched. It's a lie. Jesus got on the fringes to get you into the fold. Jesus got on the fringes to get you into the family and not just get in the family, but get a front row seat. In fact, the Bible tells us this is crazy that you now are a conqueror and co-heir with King Jesus. You know where you're sitting? On the throne with him. Yeah. Ruling and reigning now. Like that's for you. Some of us think somehow that like this is only for the super spiritual. Some of us think that like we're JV and like everybody else gets to play varsity and one day we'll graduate when we die and get to heaven. No. The Bible tells us that those who are the least on earth are actually going to have a front row in heaven. So let's start now. But he got on the outsides. He got on the fringes. He became an outcast to get you into the fold. You can't outrun him. You can't outsin his grace. I'm not saying your sin's not bad. I'm just saying his grace is that good. Your sin's all kinds of jacked up. So is mine. But his grace is just a lot better. But you take it. But you draw close to the Father today because he's drawing close to you. So he delivered him over to be crucified. Pilate handed him off. So they took Jesus and went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of the skull, 
which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him and with two others, one on each of, other, of each side and Jesus between them. Pilate also wrote an inscription, put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. And check this out. It was written in Aramaic and Latin and in Greek. That's important. We'll get to it. So the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, do not write that. Don't write the king of the Jews, but rather this man said, I am the king of the Jews. And listen to what Pilate said. What I've written, I have written. Even in the midst of, check this out. Even in the midst of Pilate's wishy-washiness, trying to dance around the, the line, he's still proclaiming the truth. Behold your king. What I said, I said. Behold Jesus as our criminalized king. See, see we, we've done this thing, especially in American Christian culture, where we've kind of made a cross to be this like glorious victory. No, like it's horrific. It'd be like putting an electric chair around your neck on a chain to wear a cross. Some of us get it tattooed on our bodies, put, wear shirts that make it say faith. I hope that convicted somebody. Okay. And we just like cross, make it all this lighthearted victory thing. And the reality is, man, like a cross was a torture weapon. It was a device that inflicted pain and fear in the hearts of men and women all around. And it was also reserved for a, a specific type of criminal. In other words, crucifixion wasn't just a normal thing, although it was a relatively normal thing in history. It was reserved for like the worst of the worst of the worst. It was for criminals. Listen to this. It was the most cruel and shameful of all punishments, said the Roman statesman philosopher Cicero. Let it never come near the body of a Roman citizen. Nay, not even hear the, his thoughts or eyes or ears. He's saying crucifixion is so bad, we don't want it near the eyes and ears and, and noses of our people. That's how horrific crucifixion is. Crucifixion probably had its origin among the Persians, but it was also the Romans who made a special use of it. No Roman citizen could be crucified. Although there were a few exceptions this mode of capital punishment was reserved for the lowest kind of criminals, particularly those who promoted insurrection. Today we think of a cross as a symbol of glory and victory, but in Pilate's day, the cross stood for the basest kind of rejection, shame, and suffering. Pilate hands him over to be crucified. Most philosophers believed that, so, so now that the crucifixion, the, the gavel has been dropped, you're guilty, let the deed be done, the process of crucifixion would have actually included another flogging. That would have been more severe than the prior one. So as those wounds are already sitting there, not healing quite yet, but blood is still gushing out, they beat him again. And then he takes his cross, which most Historians believe that it was the cross beam, just the top part, that weighed roughly 100 pounds, and he began to carry that 650 yards to his grave. You've been beaten near an inch of your life, and now go ahead and carry this 100-pound piece of wood, 650 yards. I don't care how strong you are. I don't care how much CrossFit you do, how much protein shakes you're drinking in the morning. Like, you can't carry that. And he carries it up to the hill called the skull. And then they lay him down and they put a hand, or they put his hands, they stretch his hands out and they put a nail into his left wrist. And then a nail into his right, I don't know which order, but they put 
nails in his wrists. And then they stack his feet together and they put a nail through his feet. And I'm talking railroad spike type nails. And you could hear the pounding echoing throughout the land. And then they, they elevated him up. And the beam would have actually sunk down, then down into a hole and he would have just sunk down into the weight of the spikes. And once again, we, we look at the cross and sometimes only think, man, this was only for Jesus. No, this is a regular occurrence. Crucifixion happened. There's historical documents on all the kinds of things that it would have looked like. And so we know that when you died in crucifixion, there was primarily three ways in which you died. One, cardiac arrest. Your body just can't handle that type of stress. And so it just, your heart just stops beating. Or you lose so much blood from all of the mess that was happening and so then you just, you, you're, you don't have enough blood anymore, you die. Or you actually begin to suffocate and drown on the blood that fills up within your lungs. Pick your poison. In fact, crucifixion, it said that it could take days. Literally, it could take days for it to happen. But because of how severely Jesus was beaten and criminalized, it took six hours. Crucifixion was reserved for criminals. Jesus was not the exception. He was just criminalized. He was not a criminal. And yet they labeled him as that. And so they began to treat him as such. He was hanging between two criminals, but he himself was not one. His crime was being king according to Pilate. And they labeled it. Here lies Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. And it was written in three different languages. Listen to this. It says, the fact that this title was written in Hebrew or Aramaic, Greek and Latin is significant. For one thing, it shows that our Lord was crucified in a place where many peoples and nations met, a cosmopolitan place. For the whole world to see. Hebrew is the language of religion. Greek is the language of philosophy. And Latin is the language of law. All three combined to crucify the Son of God. But what he did on that cross, he did for the whole world. See, it was all three that led him there, but it was the languages of the world that Jesus wanted portrayed to say, I'm your king. I'm your king. I'm your king. What a beautiful foreshadowing of what He's now called us to be in the hands and feet of Jesus to take this message to where? The ends of the earth. Jesus, who was completely innocent, was treated as completely guilty. Why? Like, if you're a follower of Jesus, this should kind of frustrate you a little bit, right? Like, why? He's so innocent. Why is he seen as so guilty? Well, the king became the criminal so the criminals could become like the king. He took on what you and I so rightfully deserved. See, in this moment, we see just how great the effects of sin are and the price that needs to be paid for them. Because although we look at the physical pain, we couldn't even imagine the wrath of God being poured out upon him. But it was all poured out upon him. See, we need to see Jesus as the criminalized king because he got what you and I rightfully deserved. We deserve to be there. We were the criminals. We were the ones, like we think, oh, if I was there, I would have got, gotten him off. No, you wouldn't have. You and I would have been guilty as charged the way everybody else standing there was. I don't know about you, I feel like I'd be like, Peter, I don't know that dude. And somehow that makes us feel less, like, less guilty, but that makes us just as guilty. 
See, our sin must be dealt with. The gospel doesn't avoid our sin it makes, or, or make light of it. No, it deals with it head on. See, this is the beauty of the gospel. You don't have to, like, like all that mess you're, you're feeling right now, you don't have to wipe it under the rug. Like, you don't have to try to deal with it. You don't have to be like, oh, well, it's, it's fine. Like, someone just abused me. It's not a big deal. No. Like, the gospel tells us you can look sin square in the face because Jesus went toe-to-toe, knuckled up with it, and dealt with it. He doesn't make light of it. He, he actually brings weight to our sin by showing the glory of his grace and mercy. See, the cross tells us that the power of sin is strong. And yet the power of God is much, much stronger. His innocent blood is pleading for your innocence today. If you're feeling that weight of shame and guilt and conviction, the blood of Jesus speaks a better word. It says that although you are guilty, the blood of Jesus that is innocent is washing you white as snow. And so you stand innocent. Like if you stand before the Father today and you're a follower of Jesus, Jesus says, that's my child, or, or that's, Father, that's your child. He's innocent. She's innocent. She's pure. She's holy. She's righteous. She's mine. He's pleading a better word for you today. Right now, if you want to know what Jesus is up to, he's not here, by the way. We think he is. He's not. He's in heaven. The Bible's clear. He's sitting. He's reigning and ruling. He's chilling with his dad, making a house for you. It's going to be glorious. I'm going to have shiplap in mine. You can have what you want. And he's pleading your innocence. This is my child. Yeah, even when you sinned. Like when you, when you sin, he's still pleading your innocence right now. Like if you walk, walked in here sinning your face off and you're a Christian, Jesus says, innocent, innocent, innocent. Yeah, that was a dumb idea, but you're still innocent. Shouldn't do it again. Really bad for you. Innocent. That's what he's doing. His blood is preaching your innocence. And he took this on so you wouldn't have to stand in opposition to God. Once again, if you walk out of here condemned and you walk out of here under the wrath of God, that is your choice. But Jesus brought me here today to preach the gospel to you so you would get out from underneath that condemnation. If you would trust in Jesus, will you embrace the royalty that Jesus purchased for you? When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts. One part for each soldier, also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it. This was to fulfill the scripture, which says, they divided my garments among them for my clothes and cast lots. So the soldiers did these things, but standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. There's four, four people there. When Jesus saw his mother and his disciple and the disciple whom he loved, which I love this, that's John. And John's like, yeah, he loved me. John wrote the book. It's just funny. Standing nearby, and he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. And then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. And from the, that hour, the disciple took her to his home. Behold Jesus as our Savior King. I'm going to wrap this up. I want us to look at 25 through 27. We see Jesus is actually in the midst of his crucifixion. He's hanging on the cross right here. And look what he's doing. He's making provisions for his mom. Which I think it was the last time I was here I actually taught on Jesus with the water and wine where he was with his mom, the first miracle, and now I get the honor of kind of wrapping up his life with his mom, which is kind of cool. But right now, Jesus, in the midst of his agony, is, he's making arrangements for his mom. He's hanging on a cross, bloody, bruised, naked, exposed, and yet he's caring for his mom. Hey, mom, behold your son, son, behold your mom. Like, y'all are good now. 
Most philosophers believe that Mary at this point would have been a widow, and so a widow in this day and age would have not been able to fend for herself, wouldn't have been able to care for herself. And so Jesus, because he's good and because he cares and because he loves you even in the midst of his misery and pain, is making provisions for those he loves. And what a beautiful snapshot of what he's actually doing for you and me. He cares, and so he's saving. He's doing this for you, too. He's, he's satisfying on the cross the wrath of his Father. That was due to your sin. He was caring for you. But then we see these soldiers, back to 23 and 24, we see the soldiers begin to cast lots and take his clothes, and it says that this was done to fulfill a scripture. When I... I love how God works because there's so, so many things in Scripture that if we're not paying attention, we can miss. It's all I need to behold. What's actually happening here is it's, it's teasing Psalm 22. It's teasing Psalm 22. It's helping us see that, hey, what's happened or what's prophesied about in Psalm 22 is actually now happening in John 19. I want to close out by reading Psalm 22 to you. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Sound familiar? That's what Jesus was saying on the cross. Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. In, your, in you our fathers trusted, they trusted, and you delivered them. So to you they cried and were rescued. And you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breasts. On you was I cast from my birth, and from my mother's womb you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there is none to help. Many bulls encompass me. The strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water and my bones are all out of joint. My heart is like wax and it melted within my breasts. My strength is dried up like a pot shirt and my tongue sticks to my jaw. You lay me in the dust of death. For dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all of my bones and they stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them and for my clothing they cast lots. But you, O Lord, do not be far off. O you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him and stand in awe of him. All you offspring of Israel. For he has not despised or abhorred the afflicted of the afflicted. And he has not hidden his face from him, but has heard when he cried to him. From now you comes my praise in the great congregation. My vows I will perform before those who fear him. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations shall worship before you. For kingship belongs to the Lord and he rules over the nations. All the prosperous of the earth shall eat and worship. Before him shall bow all who go down to the dust, even the one who could not keep himself alive. 
Posterity shall serve him, and it shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn. You and me, what are they proclaiming? That he has done it. Don't miss what's happening here in John 19. Psalm 22 is hopping up off the pages and coming to life. That what's unfolding before them and before us today is that Jesus is the Messiah. He's the one. And he's right before him and they reject him and yet he's still the one. They just didn't gaze at him long enough to see it. Behold, your Savior, King. See, Jesus is trying to show us, John is trying to show us that the Messiah has come, the one we've been groaning for, longing for, waiting for. He's here. And I'm here to tell you today, Grace, that he's mighty to save you. And some of you wonder, okay, he's mighty. He can part seas and he can burn bushes without catching them and, and, and like burning them down. Or he can like do all this amazing stuff. But can he, does he really want to? Like some of us are just convinced that, yeah, God's big enough, but I don't know if he really likes me enough. He's not just mighty, he's able. He's able. Like he can save you and he wants to save you today. His arm is long enough to get to you. No matter who you are, what you've done, how badly you've screwed up, or how dark your life is today, you do not have to keep trying to save yourself. Can I just lovingly plead with the person who keeps trying to save themselves? Stop. You don't have to. It's not working. And just try something that will. See, some of us believe the lie, and here's what this beautiful passage tells us. Some of us believe the lie that, that God only helps those who help themselves. In fact, the opposite's true. God only saves. God only helps those who cannot save and help themselves. It's the beauty of the gospel. You can't, and he can, and he has. Will you embrace it? I heard this quote recently. I'm wrapping up a promise. I heard this quote recently that talked about the cross is both a bridge and a sledgehammer. It's a bridge that gets us back to the Father, and it's a sledgehammer that tears down anything that could get in the way of that happening. Some of us have seen the cross as just a bridge, but... We don't know if it's really strong enough to tear down the pain and the suffering and the lies and the strongholds that we've actually allowed to stay rooted. And I'm just here to tell you today that that cross is not here to just get you back to the Father. It's here to tear down everything that could keep you from experiencing the fullness he has for you. When we behold Jesus, Holy Spirit uses the cross to draw us closer to the Father and tear down anything in the way of getting us there. If you want to know Jesus, you must behold him as king. Grace, will you behold him today? We're going to move into a time of response where we allow the cross to do its work. Holy Spirit's going to stir you. It's going to happen. I, I believe it. He's going to stir you to see the cross as either the bridge or the sledgehammer today. Like, like some of us don't know Jesus. It needs to be both. Some of us who, who know Jesus in this place, like we're already good with the Father, but relationally, relationally we feel distant from him. Let that cross sledgehammer everything in the way. Quit overthinking it. 
Quit, quit prolonging what the grace of God wants to do for you this morning. And so we're just going to have a time where and Andrew and Leah lead us. And the Holy Spirit's going to stir up things. Man, and I just encourage you to like get right with God. Like get on your knees before the Father if, if you're able. Like, I don't know if there are going to be people up here to pray or not. If, if we have some people that can do that, it'd be awesome. But I'll be up here if you need someone to pray with you. Like we're to pray with you. If you need to go lay hands and pray with other people. Let's, let's let the body be the body. But let's come and behold King Jesus together and let the cross be the bridge and the sledgehammer to get us right with the Father. Will you behold him today? Let's go for it. We hope you enjoyed this message. You can find more like it on our website under sermons. To keep up to date with our sermon series, hit the subscribe button in your podcast host and follow our social media pages. Just search for GFC Shrewsbury on the platform of your choice. If you're looking to connect with us further, then you can email us at connect at gfcshrewsbury.org. We will be back next week with another message. We hope to see you again soon.